Okay, hey, the kids are dismissed at this time for kids' praise, and uh, the rest of you, if you would be willing to open up your Bibles if you have them, uh, to Colossians 1, or if you have phone apps, um, to Colossians 1, so you can follow along. Um, Colossians uh, is a book that needs to be read and studied during a time like this. If there's ever a book to read during our time and culture, it is Colossians. I'm going to offer you the context of the book of Colossians uh, for the first part of the message, and then we'll look at the outline, how Christ is supreme over creation, he's supreme over the church, he's supreme over our lives. So, the context. The young church in Colossae, it thrived when it was planted by Epaphras and Philemon, who had heard the gospel in Ephesus, about 100 miles uh, toward the sea over there. You can see where Colossae is. Um, modern-day Turkey, and, and Paul was, spent three years in Ephesus um, sharing the gospel. And, and so Philemon and Epaphras, Epaphras heard the gospel, and they took it back to Colossae, and as a result, they planted the church, and they, uh, the church started meeting in Philemon's house. But as in many of these young churches, false prophets began to infiltrate the church after not too long. And so Epaphras didn't quite know how to handle this in Philemon. And so Epaphras made a journey to see the Apostle Paul. Now Paul had gone from Ephesus to Rome at this time, across the sea. And so uh, Epaphras had to travel like a thousand miles to go see Paul. Paul was now in prison for the faith, but Epaphras spent time with him and asked Paul, um, or, or in, informed Paul of what was happening in Colossae. And so as Paul learned about this heretical teaching, then he wrote a letter to the church in Colossae in the early 50s AD. And this letter was to be read out loud to the church members. And then it would be taken, the same letter, to the churches nearby in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And it would be read there as well. Every letter that Paul wrote to the early churches contained encouragement and direction and instruction. And it would address issues that were plaguing the church. As in any church, historically, there are issues to, to address. And so Paul did so. For example, when Paul wrote the letter to Romans, the theme was, you are justified in Christ, church. When he wrote 1 Corinthians, you are enriched in Christ. When he wrote 2 Corinthians, you are confronted in Christ. When he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said, you are set free in Christ. The church to Ephesus, you are made alive in Christ. Church in Philippi, man, you have a lot to rejoice about. You're filled with joy in Christ. And now to the church in Colossae, he wrote, you are made complete in Christ. The church in Colossae needed to remember that they were complete in Christ. He alone was sufficient for their salvation and their life as opposed to what they're hearing from the false teachers. In fact, the phrase, in Christ, Paul used some 160 times in his letters to the churches. But Colossians was the most Christ-centered letter that we read today of Paul's. And so this is the reason why Colossians would be important for us to focus on during this time in our lives. Because if there's ever a culture that's trying to divert us or distract us from Christ, it's our culture right now, right? And if there's ever a time that we need to refocus on Christ rather than on the issues all around us, 
it's a time like this as well for the church to focus on Christ. So what are these false teachers, what were they teaching to the church in Colossae? Well, they claimed to possess a special knowledge, a higher knowledge from this supreme hidden God. And the more knowledge one received from this God, the more they would be set free and released from the physical evil around them, including their bodies, they taught. And it would put them more in touch then with the greater truths of the hidden God, more of the spirit, more of the heavenly things. And so these were the early Gnostics, which would lead into a full-blown heresy in the early church days called Gnosticism. The word Gnostic is the Greek word for knowledge. See, they claimed to have a higher knowledge from some hidden supreme being, and it was, uh, it was given to them through angelic spirits. We get the word agnostic from this. Agnostic, opposite of Gnostic, would be I don't know what I believe. I don't know what agnostic. These Gnostics and Colossi taught a mixture of human wisdom and philosophy in astrology as they gave importance to angels and they combined it with Judaism and even a mix of Christianity, the, the message of Christ. And they most likely came about this new religion, if you will, um, because of the age-old question, how could the presence of evil be in a world that a perfect God created? And they couldn't wrap their brains around this and so they concluded, well, it, it couldn't. It couldn't. Therefore, all physical matter in our world, including our bodies, are evil, our physical bodies. And an imperfect lesser divinity would have created the physical world, but not this hidden supreme God that we receive messages from. So how are we to deal with then with the physical matter? They taught that our bodies are sinful and our spirits are trapped within these evil sinful bodies and they would they would take either one of two extremes they would take the extreme of indulgence hedonism you know since the body and the physical world is irrelevant to the spirit then you could do what you wish uh, by fulfilling your lusts or in this case in Colossae they took the other extreme asceticism they would deny their body with harsh discipline of the body and that's why they resonated with Judaism and the law and the list of rules and regulations, legalism, if you will. They taught that circumcision and adherence to the certain dietary laws would be required if we're to attain this supernatural wisdom from this hidden God. So their religion was a Jesus, yeah, Jesus is cool, but it's Jesus and, or Jesus plus all these other things. If matter is evil, they concluded, a supreme God could no longer have contact or could have no contact with it and he would be forced to reveal himself through emanations or through ions or through uh, revelations, illusions and radiations. Like, you think a Star Wars type of thing. You know, holographs or whatnot. And so they concluded that Christ was one such emanation amongst many other that came from God to reveal the hidden God. The Christ was one emanation. Conclusion, the Son of God could not and did not appear in the flesh as the flesh would be considered evil. 
Later on, when Gnosticism was full-blown, the Gnostics taught that the Christ emanation came upon the human man, Jesus, at his baptism in the beginning of his ministry. And then the Christ spirit left Jesus, the man, when he was crucified. And so this was Gnosticism that was beginning to infiltrate Colossae, the church in Colossae. Whenever we add other truths to the gospel, the gospel namely being that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, came among us in human flesh, and he lived his life, and he died on the cross as the Son of God, and then he rose on the third day to live forever. This is the gospel that Jesus lived and taught, and that the Apostle Paul taught. But anything that falls short of that belongs in the heresy camp. Many religions admire Jesus, but they, they include him as one of many ingredients for salvation and life. In other words, they would deny Jesus as, or they would not deny Jesus as a teacher and a prophet, but they would dethrone him as Lord. I ran into a guy in the O'Hare Airport in Chicago when I was traveling when I lived in the Chicago area. And this guy approached me with a book in his hands, and he said, this is a free book that we're giving to raise money for the homeless. And I said, well, I thank you. And I took it, and then he began to offer me his spiel about their ministry, their Christian uh, compassion. So I listened to him, and I listened. I had some time before my flight took off. And then finally, I said, well, thank you. I've got to go now. And I turned to walk away. I said, oh, but sir, we're asking for donations, of course, you know, and so... I felt obligated after listening to him to give him like $10. So as I turned to walk away, I flipped open the book, and this is what I saw, a picture of young Krishna on the inside cover. And so I did an abrupt 180. I went back to the guy and said, Sir, I'm sorry, but I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian too. Well, yeah, but this is a young Krishna here, and you know I don't believe this. And, and then he talked and talked, and I tried to get my $10 back, give him the book back. He would refuse to take it or give it back. And so I just took the book, and I kind of threw it away after tearing some pages. Um, I was duped. I was deceived. Yeah, he believed in Jesus. He, he even claimed to you know, follow the Christian way in his ministry, but he really was Jesus plus he was a Krishna. Well, uh, I, was, I went to O'Hare Airport one more time, maybe eight months later, and there was the same guy. I recognized him by his toupee. <laughs> and he came up to me, and it was the same guy. I said, sir, and he gave me, began to give me the same spiel. He said, we're giving away these free books. I took the book and said, thank you. And I started walking away like this without engaging him, and he almost attacked me when I wouldn't give the book back. And so I was just kind of playing with him. I was getting a little vengeance. And it was not a Christian thing to do. I didn't have a good attitude. <laughs> well, many believe in Jesus, no problem, but it's Jesus plus. For example, Islam is Jesus is a great prophet plus Muhammad. Jesus is the only prophet of Allah who was superseded, though, by Muhammad. Hinduism Jesus plus many other gods. We have nothing against Jesus, but there are many other deities. Judaism is Jesus plus the law that we must abide by. And then we think of some American cults like Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus plus Jehovah. 
as Jesus was first created as the archangel Michael and became a lesser God, but he was not certainly the Jehovah God, the great God. So Jesus plus Jehovah. Or the Mormons who teach Jesus plus Joseph Smith's later prophecy about Jesus in the Book of Mormon, who was born in heaven as a spirit of the child Elohim, the heavenly father, by one of Elohim's many wives. Jesus was just one of many gods, as we will one day be, come as well. And then there's Scientology, which I have no idea, but this is what they teach, that Jesus was a false memory implanted into humans, and as a result of the Xena space opera, Christianity evolved from the R6 implant. So Jesus plus question mark, right? I have no idea. And then there's the Gnostics that, we, that infiltrated the church in Colossae. Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus eating the right types of food, Jesus plus the special knowledge from emanations, from these angelic beings. Today in our culture, we have Jesus plus spirituality, where people say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a very spiritual person. And I think to myself, the devil's a very spiritual entity, right? I have nothing against Jesus, they say, but I believe that there are many paths to God, not just one way. Or they say, I will not be saved, or I will be saved one day because I've tried to live the good moral life. So it'd be Jesus plus morality. The place that Jesus Christ holds in any spiritual teaching determines whether it is true or false, whether it's the truth or it's heresy. So then Paul writes to the church in Colossae, and he writes that Jesus alone is supreme and sufficient for our salvation and for our life. Jesus is not just prominent, which means important, but Jesus is preeminent, which means he is supreme above all others. Warren Wearsby in his commentary writes of D.L. Moody in 1893 during the World Exposition held in Chicago where 21 million people uh, came to celebrate and look at the exhibits. Among the pavilions at the World Exhibition was the World Parliament of Religions with representatives from all the world religions there. In fact, they thought that they might even come up with a new religion as each world, world leader tried to endorse their own religion. The evangelist D.L. Moody saw great opportunity during this time, during the, the uh, exposition. So he utilized all the local churches, he rented theaters, he put up circus tents, and he began to present the gospel of Jesus Christ as an evangelist. And all of his church friends thought that Moody should kind of attack the parliament of religions, but he refused. He said, I'm going to make Jesus Christ attractive. I'm going to hold him up so that people will be drawn to him. Moody knew that Jesus Christ was the preeminent or supreme savior. All power belonged to him. He was not just one of many world leaders. He was the God, the son of God. He knew the power of the gospel. And what happened during that Chicago campaign in 1893. Dale Moody went on to say this was the greatest evangelistic endeavor that I'd ever participated in where thousands upon thousands came to Christ. 
We also need to focus on Christ's sufficiency rather than worry about all the corruption and all of the lies in our culture. You know, when we watch the worldly news, um, we get really depressed, don't we? Because we just watch and see how the world is going. We hear, we hear what we call lies and whatnot. We focus on that. We get so discouraged, regardless of the issue, right? But I think we need to focus on Christ and the hope that we have in him because he is supreme. And I think focusing on Christ, our thoughts and our actions will be the anecdote for all the false lies in our world and culture. And for, in fact, in the first 14 verses, Lynn prayed in Colossians, Paul begins not by attacking the false leaders or, or by rebuking all those who are listening to the false leaders. He began by focusing on how much their lives had been changed by the risen Lord. And he was rejoicing. He was thanking God for them. Then he gets into verse 15, which uh, Connor read. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what do we, what do we see here? What is the message of Colossians? Jesus is supreme over all of creation, Jesus isn't just one important thing. He's not just one savior or one emanation or one rung up the ladder to get to God. Rather, Jesus, according to verse 15, he is the son. He's the very image of the invisible God who created us. The visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus would earlier say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The writer of Hebrews wrote, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. You cannot separate the sun from the sun rays. They're one and the same. And then Paul goes on in verse 15. He says, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. This word firstborn does not mean born first. Jehovah's Witnesses use this against Christians, they say, see, he was born first, he was created, he was, God created him. No, it doesn't mean born first, like the little girl who's sitting on her grandmother's uh, lap, and he, she was looking at grandma's skin, and it was all wrinkly, and, they said, and then she looked at her own skin, and it was smooth. She said, Grandma, um, did God create you? Well, yes, she did, dear. Well, did God create me too, Grandma? Well, yes, he created you too. Well, don't you think he's doing a better job these days? <laughs> Grandma was born first. But this is not what firstborn means. Firstborn means it's a term of supremacy. Jesus is supreme in rank. Exodus 4.2, Israel is my firstborn son. Well, Israel was not the first nation. Psalm 89, God says, David is the firstborn king of Israel. But King David was not the first son in his family, nor was he the first king of Israel. But he was supreme in rank. This is what firstborn means when we see it in Scripture. After all, if Jesus had been born first, 
then he would be a part of God's creation like Jehovah's Witnesses would teach. And he could not be the creator. But Paul goes on to say in the word of God in verse 16, for in him in Jesus Christ all things were created. In other words, he's the creator. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And this would obey that why the waves obeyed Jesus when he was in the boat or why the storm obeyed his voice because he was the creator of creation. This would, this would um, give us understanding as to why the fig tree could wilt just at the command of Jesus or why the fish could swallow the coin because Jesus said so. This would give us understanding as to why we don't need not fear the powerful leaders and the corrupt rulers in our world today who are to be feared. We don't need to because Jesus created them and he is supreme over them as the king of kings. And we too were created by Jesus as part of his creation. A guide took a group of, of uh, people into an atomic laboratory to give them a tour and explain how all matter was composed primarily of moving particles. And the tourists studied these models of molecules before their eyes, and they were all amazed to learn that matter was made primarily up of empty space, including our bodies. So during the question and answer period, one visitor asked, if this is the way matter works, then what holds us together? For that, the guide said, there are many theories, but none of them are definitive. But the scriptures have the answer right here. All Christians, we have the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ holds us together. In verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. There's somewhere between 50 and 75 trillion cells in your human body right now. And if Jesus didn't hold you together, it would be quite a mess in here. But he's the Lord over his creation. He holds us together. When you feel like your world is falling apart, know that Jesus holds it together. Even when it doesn't feel like it's held together. But he is, if he's your Lord, and you can trust in him. He's supreme over us, his creation. And then he's supreme over the church. Secondly, he's supreme over the church. Uh, verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He's the head of the body. I haven't seen any headless bodies walking in a church today. It would be pretty weird. I did see a chicken over here the other, no, I didn't. Uh, because a head is attached to the body, and Jesus is our head. We cannot function without Jesus being our head and our leader here. And I'm grateful that Jesus is lifted up as the head of the body of Christ, his people. But sometimes, even still, we lose hope. Like last year during COVID, we all experienced an underlying anxiety, and we have a residual of that, I think, still. We're still grieving a lot of losses that took place in our life. I've talked to many pastors um, when this pandemic started, and they thought, man, how in the world is our church ever going to last you know, people are going to stop coming to church for good. No longer will the church look like it used to. 
Um, we're going to lose finances. We're going to lose ministry opportunities. Perhaps our freedoms will be taken away from us. We might lose friendships. In fact, a lot of my friends, and even here, we haven't seen some people yet in, in over a year because I don't know if they're not coming or if they're just watching online. I don't know. And so there's losses there because we miss our friends and our loved ones, the people we've invested in. And so we grieve together as pastors. And I'm not alone because you do as well. It continues to be difficult on the human level when life feels out of control. But I was, uh, I was encouraged when I read The Church is Like a Wave by Rick Warren. He writes this. If you've ever taken a class on serving, surfing, surfing, you know, like this, you'll be taught everything you need to know about surfing, how to choose the right surfboard and equipment, how to use it properly, how to recognize a surfable wave, how to catch a wave and ride it as long as possible, and most important of all, how to get off a wave without wiping out. But you'll never find a course that teaches how to build a wave. Surfing is the art of riding the waves that God builds. There are a lot of books and a lot of conferences on church growth that fall into how to build a wave category. They try to manufacture the wave of God's spirit using gimmicks and programs and and really powerful music and marketing techniques and video to create growth. But growth cannot be produced by humans. Only God can make the church grow. Only God can breathe new life into a valley of dry bones. Only God can create waves, the waves of revival, the waves of growth, the waves of spiritual receptivity. Only God can create spiritual growth in us. Only God can change lives. And that's what he does. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Although life has been challenging, we've seen evidence here at Countryside that Christ is the head here. When we are not knowing what's up, which way to go, and we're confused and we're filled with anxiety this past year, we turn to God in prayer. Jesus, how are you leading us? And he's proven time and time again his faithfulness and his sufficiency. Last week, last Tuesday night, our leadership team uh, met together and we celebrated all the changes that we've seen in our own lives and what we've observed in the church. We've welcomed three classes of new members at Countryside during the year of pandemic. Over 50 people have joined this past year, which is record-breaking. We received record-breaking giving this year when we thought giving would be plummeted we, we offer generous financial gifts to missions and ministries, record-breaking giving, because as it came in, we were able to give much out. We celebrated the highest Easter worship attendance since I've been here, since we've been here in 15 years, when you combine those watching online and all those in person at our three services. We discovered great momentum in ministry, including the Oak, Har- Oak Harbor Colleges, which we highlighted last week. But there are many other ministries that are flourishing because Jesus is supreme over his church. And then finally and quickly, and I'll be done in just a moment, Jesus is supreme over our lives. When we feel that we're at the weakest point in our life, that's when we're kind of the strongest, when we turn to him. When we're the most dependent on Jesus, that is when he is the closest to us. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul discovered when he was uh, dealing with so much difficulty in his life personally. He turned to him and prayed, and God didn't answer his prayers as Paul wanted. And, And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul concluded, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, in worldwide pandemics. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's the mystery of the gospel right there. As opposed to all the other religions, try to please God, try to be worthy of God. When I'm weak, I'm made strong. If you find that you're weak and feel out of control, know that you have a Savior and a Lord who holds you together. And he is supreme over your life. The word is preeminent, not prominent, not just important, but he is preeminent and supreme. He has first place in my life as my Lord. And I turn to him. Trust in him. I want to conclude with one last verse, 18b. He, Jesus Christ, is the beginning and the firstborn. There's that word firstborn again, from among the dead. Firstborn meaning he, when he rose from the dead, he rose first in rank forevermore. He's exalted and lifted up and seated on his throne that oversees the entire creation. He redeemed his creation. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden, he regained and redeemed. So that in everything he might have what? The supremacy, the preeminence. Not prominent, but preeminence. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for your preeminence. We thank you for your supremacy. And Lord, we confess that oftentimes we kick you off the throne of our lives and we place ourselves on our own thrones and we think we, we can do it better But Lord, thank you that you are a forgiving God. And when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and unrighteousness and restore to us um, uh, our forgiveness and cleanliness before you, our righteousness. And so Lord, um, right now though, as we conclude this service, we're here this morning to place you back on the throne of our creation, of our world, of our government, uh, of our church, of our lives, Lord. We place you on the throne and we recognize your position there right now. So be pleased with our worship as we conclude. In Christ's name, amen.